Welcome to the Cannabis Connection. I'm your host, Christopher Carr. Thank you for joining us this evening for another edition of Santa Cruz Cannabis Talk Radio. Our guests this evening, Motherlode Gardens. Ben Wilson, the head grower and breeder at Motherlode Gardens and Motherlode Seeds since 2014, a California native with 15 plus years experience growing and selling cannabis in the California medical cannabis scene. Motherlode Gardens is an organic, sun-grown medical cannabis farm located in California's Sierra foothills just outside Yosemite National Park. Very excited for this show. Welcome, Ben, to the Cannabis Connection. Hey, how's it going? Good. How you doing, man? Good. Good to meet you. Likewise. Can you tell the people, where in the world are you? Where? What's it like where you are right now? Uh, we're located in Mariposa County, which is uh, it's about two and a half hours east of Santa Cruz. Um, it's, it's a really small county. It's, it's, you know, pretty much just Yosemite out here. There's not much else. So, you know, that and cannabis. That's you know, and that's not a bad place to be. Uh, half dome and, and cannabis. Can you speak to uh, what, what was that? Was that where you grew up, or how did this plant come into your life? How did you kind of get into the 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 calling here of of taking care of the sacred plant? Uh, long story. Uh, I grew up in L.A., Los Angeles. I was a city kid. Um, my parents smoked. My parents always smoked weed. Um, you know, I didn't really know about it when I was younger, but found out when I was maybe 12. And at that point, me and my friends kind of started smoking. And pretty sure, probably by 13 or 14, I was growing my first plants. Um, it was all, you know, it was all outdoors, kind of hidden in alleys or in people's backyards. And, you know, this and that. I don't, we we didn't get many harvests, but but we tried and yeah uh, that was that was my childhood uh after after i graduated high school i moved up to santa cruz actually when i was 18 oh there you go so, <laughs> yeah i got i got into the university there um uc santa cruz alumni here so nice a banana slug um, yes sir Full circle yep. and you're on the airwaves that's great man Yep. Yeah, I came up in Santa Cruz. I was a longtime resident out there, um, maybe 10, 12 years before moving out here full time. So I kind of got introduced to growing, you know, grower culture and cannabis culture for the most part in Santa Cruz. Um, it was it was a pretty big scene back when I moved up there around 2005, 2006. Everyone that I knew was growing seemed like the whole damn town was growing. Uh, it, it, my neighbor was growing in his garage and kind of showed me what he was doing and got me into it. And, uh, I mean, we had we had a lot of different spots in Santa Cruz. I started growing at a place by the beach. We got evicted from there, ended up at another spot. We got evicted from plenty of places just for trying to grow. And, you know, eventually got enough experience to to kind of make a living out of it yeah i know santa cruz is certainly uh you know cannabis and reggae music was something that really it just you know i got immersed in it once uh, i moved here in 2008 so the 2005 was a little early for me but my first jobs i moved on beach hill and and was a part of a, a surf house just a bunch of bachelors and they had a uh, surf rock band the moon germs and, and some of our first that's how i paid rent for my first couple of years at eight i moved to santa cruz at 18 as well and uh we would say chop your way to the top we were trimmers and uh it was a pretty vibrant indoor so you guys were growing indoor at the different houses can you speak to that a little bit uh we were doing outdoor and indoor nice pretty much whatever we could get away with for sure um, if we could if we could get away with outdoor we were doing outdoor if we had neighbors we'd do indoor and i started doing outdoors like my first real grow was an outdoor grow and that was successful for the most part and after that we went indoors i was indoors for a few years we did i mean i did it all we did hydroponics we did organics we did soil we did stadium grows coliseums sea of green i mean you know you name it 
Righteous. Can you speak to, do you remember some of the, I mean, in 2005, that was that like heyday of, was that the Blue Dream era or what was it? Was it all OGs or what kind of cultivars? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, OG was barely even on the scene back then. In the yeah, yeah. Can you give us an education about, yeah, well, like what lines and genetics were popping off in Santa Cruz at that time? Oh, sure, yeah. Um, well, purples were really big. That was that was the perps, you know. That was the perp era. Yeah, no, the yeah. bay. Yeah. yeah, we had um, Granddaddy Purple was pretty big. Uh, Purple Urkel, Grape Ape. And there was, you know, Trainwreck, White Widow, Blueberry. Uh, bunch, you know, the main staples of NorCal. I mean, Scentsy Star, um, I don't know, Snowcap. Snowcap was a big one back then. People forgot about Snowcap. That's a classic. Yeah, I, I felt like Snowcap was Mendo genetics that I definitely was exposed to here in Santa Cruz. That, that is a building block for sure. Yep. Yep, yeah, it was all those classic ones. We had a, uh, we had Blueberry, White Widow, and Trainwreck. I think OG Kush started to get popular up in the Bay Area, maybe 2007, 2008. You know, before then, everyone was looking for purple, and I think Blue Dream actually hit the scene around 2005, 2006. I remember that. That's the one. Yeah, I feel like Blue Dream changed the game a bit and was, you know, like a lot of. A lot of businesses were built on, local businesses were built on Blue Dream from that time, from 2005, 2010. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember when it first showed up. It wasn't even called Blue Dream. They were just calling it the Blueberry Haze. And, Classic, uh, yeah. Mean, yep. And we were seeing, I mean, we were seeing indoor pounds of that going for just as much as the OGs and the Purples at the time. I mean... You know, you could probably yield twice as much and get the same price for it. So it's no surprise everyone started growing Blue Dream. Yeah, that was, uh, no, I mean, that was, that was important. That's important, period. And, and it's funny too, because I feel like these things come in cycles and there's a new generation coming up now and it got played out quite a bit, but, um, it's an amazing flower, amazing cultivar. And, Amazing part of the Santa Cruz lineage is that Santa Cruz haze crossed with the DJ Short Blueberry. Um, but it's, it's interesting to see it come back. I feel like it's coming back in style. Yeah, it never left, man. I mean, if if you're a fan of big, beautiful sativas, that's a good one. Um, we've done, I mean, I grew the original clone back in Santa Cruz for years and grew it outdoors, grew it indoors. We've grown a bunch of crosses. It does great outside. I mean, that's for sure. It's It doesn't really, you know, it doesn't hit you like an OG or Kush or a Cookies, but it has that smell that just fills up a room when someone's smoking it. You know, you can tell. You walk into a room, someone's smoking Blue Dream, like, oh, that, I can tell that for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's a, I know, yeah, I completely concur. And I agree with you. I don't think it ever quite left, you know, just the, you know how people are. You know, there's so much so much opinions in in this space but uh that is a magic it was funny purples came up last show we had finest cannabis on the show last week and uh i feel like that's another zone that people are looking to maybe rekindle some some original purple urkel is what uh christian was looking for and uh do you still have any old perps genetics wise or anything like that you've incorporated because i feel like that is an is a nice space that it'd be nice to get more work into the modern scene with these classic cultivars you're talking about. Yeah, I mean we don't I don't really keep clones around for the most part. I'm I've had so much stuff in my collection that's come and gone and you know, at yeah. this point we're pretty much just working with our own crosses, our own new stuff, but I mean, I'm a fan of purples. I'm more, I'm more of an OG Kush kind of, you know, gas, sour kind of guy. But yeah, I like a nice purple. I just, you know, I've seen a lot of them. They've been around, you know, like I said, since the 2000s and, uh, I, I like them, but, but it's just not so much. They don't do it for me, you know, like, uh, I like purple, but I like Kush. I like sour. I like Kim. I like all those things more for sure. Yeah. Well, and the gas packs a punch too. I mean, I feel like purple's 
taste great and they have a nice effect. And linalool as a terp is pretty medicinal. I mean, it helps a lot of people and it's, uh, so, so aromatic and, and, and delicious. But I think I'm with you. I, I mean, especially my test in any new cultivar, any breeding or, or pollen chucking, you know, just making beans. You know, if my dad gives it the seal of approval of, of potency, and it's a lot of these gassy cultivars that he's looking for. He likes that heady smoke. I'm the same way, man. I'll give something to my pops, and if he likes it, I know it's that gas. That's it. You know, that's my check. And so, yeah, and you, but dad would say about perps, you know, oh, it tastes good, but um, let's, let's smoke something stronger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you. so when I moved to Santa Cruz, from LA, you know, it was kind of a culture shock because it went from like OG Kush fuck mania, but in Santa Cruz, no one had OG. They just had purples. They only wanted How wild. The whole, yeah. yeah. LA was huge in the, yeah, the OG. I feel like that was a big part of the LA story and SFV and all that. Yeah. Yeah. So I've always been more along those lines of, you know, the genetic spectrum for cannabis. I like purple. I like some of the work that, uh, CSI Humboldt has been doing. They've been doing some good work with the uh, with the Urkel clone. Word. Okay. Cool. That's that's good to know. Yeah, because there's there's people it, just in general too. Some of those old, you know, like old snow cap or you know some of those original Santa Cruz cut blueberry haze would be fun to just just bring those things back and create some you know nostalgic yet classic cultivars and, and try to educate a new generation. There's a new generation coming into the market that are just weren't around in two thousand five or you know what I mean? They weren't in the in the cannabis aware. Uh and, and it's important to kinda continue the, the legacy of some of these legendary varietals and I would love to learn a bit about some of your um so you guys so you you, you did a bunch of of work in, in outdoor and indoor, was there? Um, how did you get to Mariposa from Santa Cruz, or what? What, what, what led you to where you are now? Because I feel like your gardens are gorgeous, and, and maybe you can walk us through a little bit about your current, you know, grow and garden setup and how you got oh, there. Sure. sure, yeah. Well, um, did my time in Santa Cruz. I'm sure you know that town got pretty expensive. It got hard to find a place to grow, honestly. So Yeah, it's hard. Uh, it's definitely a challenging place. Yeah, uh, we were looking for a place for maybe a year or two after we had a we had a little farm down in Coralitos. It was maybe two or three acres, and we were growing down there. Got kicked out of there because we cleaned up the place, and the landlord decided he wanted to move back in. Um that's so, too bad. <laughs> yeah, so I was kind of I was kind of without a garden for almost a year, and a friend of a friend who lived out in Mariposa at the place I'm currently at, he he was moving out. He said, "I'm moving up to Mendocino, where we can grow more, and I have this kick-ass spot. If you want to come in here, you know, you don't have to, you know, apply for anything. Just slide in, pay the landlord, and and grow there." So. We made the move from Santa Cruz to Mariposa in 2013 just because it was the only place we could find a property that we could grow at. Wow, yeah. And 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 tell us about the shift there. I mean, what's the what's the terrible what's the environment like? Santa Cruz is kind of a challenging uh, South County, I mean, there's some fog. There's Coralitos is lovely though. I do love I mean, that's a beautiful home home base i i love the coralitos vibe and we have a lot of family out there but uh is it higher and drier is it higher elevation speak to the the, sh the shift in in the grow environment oh yeah i mean well you know there's all these different microclimates in santa cruz and where we were uh down in larkin valley it was really foggy you know pretty much even in the summer it would be yeah. foggy until yeah, maybe fog. one two in the afternoon it was pretty challenging. I grew up in the mountains, up in the Santa Cruz Mountains, which is a little better if you're above the fog line. That's a little bit more similar to where we're at now. But, yeah, down by the coast, it's it's a whole different story. You have to grow things that finish early, yep. things that are mold-resistant. You're definitely so not getting much sunlight. It's, it's, I'd say it's a lot more challenging growing in Santa Cruz than growing out here. Um, in the Sierras, I mean, this is 
pretty much the perfect climate for cannabis. Agreed. Yeah, this is um yeah, because you're um you're east. I grew up in the El Dorado County near South Lake Tahoe off of Highway 50, and I feel like the Sierra Nevada foothills are really charmed region for they're underappreciated grow zones, and I think there's a lot of future in the in that kind of foothill elevation. Uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, totally agree. Totally agree. I mean, it's kind of overlooked. It's almost like the hidden gem of the California cannabis scene. You know, everyone likes scene. to think of the yeah. Triangle, the 707, Humboldt, Mendocino, all that. But, I mean, really, we're farther south. We're probably getting better sun and better weather. And yeah, way better. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's still water here. I mean, if you go farther south into Southern California, it starts to dry up. But, you know, here in the Sierras, there's still water and great sun. You know, depending on your microclimate that you're located in, where we are is just we're on a, a ridge top basically, and we get sun all day long and humidity is low. It's, I mean, it's great for growing sun-grown cannabis because it stays dry pretty much all year unless it's, raining yeah no that high and dry I, oh, talk about a shift from you know fog toss you know a corlitus you, you get lots of fog june july you know the whole veg is probably mostly in fog and then it's it's funny in santa cruz the the fall it gets really nice uh in, in september october that's kind of like our Sometimes it's it's amazing how like the Indian summer vibe in Santa Cruz it gets it gets nice. But yeah, I grew up in the gold country and just love the. There's no you you don't have that those um, variables that you that you sh- shared that you stated. You know, short finisher needs to be botrytis resistant, powdery mildew resistant. When you go to the Sierras or these higher you know high dry regions, you can actually grow some some tight structured flowers and see them thrive with the sun and in getting into those foothills. Yeah. Water's a key factor, something to think about. Yes, sir. Yeah. You got to have water. If you're going to grow, got to have water and got to have good water, you know, you Amen. growing on city water or pumping in, you know, drying up a river or something. So true. So true. Wow, how cool. So 2013, you move out into this neat new zone. It's kind of like already taking loved up spot, you know, turnkey, it sounds like, or just it was easy to get. No, 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 not at all. (laughs) When we moved in here, the guy who was here before us was growing indoors. So Okay, so you guys kind of built this outdoor garden. Yeah, yeah, I think he kind of saw the potential, but so at the time, um, this is a, you know, this is history lesson here, but back in 2013, you could grow 99 plants per person for whatever property you were on, as long as each person had a medical prescription. Um, so those are what we call the Wild West days, you know. Yeah, big time. Um, yeah, Prop 215. Yeah, yeah. So when we moved out here, um, we had a few acres of raw land and pretty much could do whatever we wanted with it. So we, I think the first year we ended up just doing like maybe a hundred plants outdoors full season. You know, we got a late start. They weren't too big, but throw out as many as we wanted to. It was all medical. And that was the last year for that. Um, yeah, I remember. Yeah. In 2014, they passed a 24 plant limit, which is similar to what I think Mendocino had at the time. That is, yeah, that was the who who can get the biggest 25 wins the wins the race. I mean, that was that was another Wild West time. Yeah, yeah. So 2014, they instated that regulation, and we had to figure out uh, pretty much, you know in the middle of the season, how to make it work with 24 plants. I think they, they, they made the announcement in April. So, you know, it was like April and okay, you can have 24 plants go. And so you guys, um, you kind of follow that tradition too. Um, what you grow pretty big monsters. Is that, um, 
you know, can you speak to that too? Maybe the novice or growers, if they're doing six plants, how do they, how do they get to be like this 20 foot wide Yosemite glue I'm looking at right now? We're just some key pro tips. Key pro tips. Um, well, we like to start from seed. I think it's a lot easier when you start from seed. They tend to be more vigorous, more resilient. They have that tap root. Um, so we always like to grow from seed. Plus, if you grow from seed, you don't really need to use supplemental lighting, which makes it a lot easier at our place. We couldn't really be hard to use supplemental lighting here. So we always start from seed under natural light. Uh, we like to start them in, you know, February, maybe March at the latest for, for really big plants. You want to get them started pretty early. We sprout them in a heated greenhouse, and they stay in there until the weather gets good. You know, usually April or so, you can start to put them outside. And that's around the time that they start showing their sex if you're growing regular seeds. So, yeah, you, you usually sex them, pull the males, and then you can put the females out. And we like to have everything outside in the ground by the beginning of May. These aren't like hard, fast rules, but I like to have these, these time frames. Um, it's all about the timing. I mean, you can get a massive plant if you start in April and put it out in June, but you know, that same plant with another month is going to be even bigger. So try to start early. And at that point, it's all about, you know, you want to use good soil, obviously. You need a lot of space. You want to make sure you have plenty of space for each plant. These plants, if they're going to get big, they don't want to be running into each other. You know, that's that's when they stop growing is when they run into another plant. So we space ours out 15 feet apart on center. So every plant gets, you know, 15 feet on each side to grow. And yeah, make sure you stay. It's oh, beautiful. Yep, space them out, and other than that, yeah, we prune them, prune them, prune the insides out. We're constantly pruning the insides out. Um, you want to prune out the inner growth to focus on the outer growth. We don't top. We never top them. I think topping is more for indoors or maybe greenhouse. I don't agree with topping for full-term outdoors. So all ours are untopped. We focus on... We focus on pruning and training. So what we do is we will take the lateral branches, the branches growing out from the side, and kind of pull them out horizontally almost every day. Just kind of pull the branches out horizontally through whatever support we're using to try to increase the uh, horizontal footprint of each plant. So that combined with not topping them, they'll get nice and wide plus tall. You get tall, you get wide, and as long as you have your supports up, trellis, cage, whatever, you're good to go. You know, you want to build a nice big frame for your plant. It's all about getting your support, giving it enough space, pruning it, training it, making sure that it fills out a nice big frame before it starts to go into flower. So, you know, you start them in February, they start to flower in August, you get maybe six months of building that structure. Wow. And that's when you get those really massive ones. Yeah, they're, I mean, like you said, 15 foot off center, and, and yeah, they become huge, huge, gorgeous. Like, oh man, we're looking at some of the, the, the photography is amazing. And you could tell too, there's a lot of, a lot of water going into that. Can you speak to your, do you do top dressing or is this just like amended mounds, it looks like, and almost like a cover crop on the bottom? Yeah, we do an amended mix. So every year we get a soil test in the spring, and we'll go based on that, um, get our amendments, and mix them in the soil in the spring before we plant. And that's that's the bulk of it. We like to do the occasional root drench with some organic nutrients, and we do a lot of foliar feeding as well. So. Um, that I think that's pretty key. Foliar feeding is is something that a lot of people overlook, and and it's a really good way of getting all the micronutrients and all the calcium that might not be being taken up by the plant from the soil. How cool is that? So, is there um, for maybe a novice foliar feeder? Is there like a 
earthworm casting tea or are you doing compost teas or you're is there a specific regimen you like to do and that's principally in veg right when you do the foliar just to kind of get that frame like you said like what the bud sites will be built on you're just trying to we, shape it for six months we foliar pretty much the whole time the whole wow how cool Yep. Yeah, we like to foliar all the way up until maybe September when they start to really put on, you know, trichomes and develop the flowers, and then we'll kind of taper it off. But, um, yeah, we pretty much foliar at least once or twice a week throughout the whole life of the plant. And what we like to focus on is the micronutrients and the calcium because those are going to be the hardest to make sure those are going to be the hardest to get enough of in your soil, right? And it, and it's easy to overdo as well. You can put micronutrients in your soil, but if you put too much, it's going to be toxic, and you don't have that problem with foliar feeding. So we like to use, I think, um, the two main things we use are uh, micronutrient, uh, metallicate, and, um, and a liquid calcium, and both of those are made by Albion, um, they're they're pretty cheap, and you don't have to use much, and they're approved for organic use. And then you get all your micronutrients, you get your calcium, and yeah, it really helps with the the growth of the plant, helps with the resilience, helps with you know all that. Wow, it's fantastic! Yeah, these are these are gorgeous. You guys got got a really nice system down. And whatever you're doing, keep doing it. And I know. Growing from seed is important. Uh, there's a there's an increased vigor. We're huge advocates of that, and I think in many ways that's the future of of our community is to just get into the roots of, of growing from seed. Can you, can you share? You guys got a lot of really special genetics, and I, I, I would love to hear how how you came across the ancient OG because I could tell that's one of your beloved uh, papas and a lot of your lines are, are, you know, there's some, some of that in the mix and that's near and dear to our hearts. It's a Bodie, big ups Bodie seeds out in, in South County. Oh yeah. Yeah. We were huge Bodie fans. Um, ancient OG, my opinion is one of the best outdoor strains in existence. Um, going back to that first year that we had a plant limit, we, you know, we had to really figure out how to grow big plants out here. And at the time, most people were growing clones. They were kind of, outdoor growers were kind of scared to grow from seed. The general consensus was that sometimes you might get a good one, but that seeds are too inconsistent and the quality is not always there. And they're, you know, it's just too much of a risk to grow seeds. So when we, um, when we first heard about Bodhi, I think Ancient OG was one of the first strains that we bought that kind of tickled our fancy. And when we ran it outside that year, I think we averaged, I think we did three plants and got over 30 pounds off them. And that was, I mean, that was our first year growing big plants. We didn't really know what we were doing. So it Jeez. was obvious. Huge yield. Yeah, there was, yeah, it was something special about those genetics, obviously. And we've been working with them ever since. You know, we I went back and I made sure to go stock up on those original F1s that Bodhi released. And it's a good thing because I think the next year they started having germination problems. And um, he stopped making them. I think he lost the mom. I think he lost the Iranian mom. So Yeah, I, that one no was... More finicky i heard yeah like that that was a, a charmed window when you were picking up those f1s of ancient og because we yeah once the word got out a lot of the beans were gone that it was a good cultivar like you said like one of the best outdoor once people had a good round uh they got gobbled up well not only did they get gobbled up but then they stopped germinating i think by 2015 a lot of wow. people were starting to see germination issues Crazy. So, I mean, if anyone's still holding on to those F1s, I would pop those now because, you know, you definitely don't want to wait on those. 100%, yeah. Well, and you you have, like, you worked it further, correct? Like, I saw F5, Ancient OG. Yes, yes. Well, when, so when I found out that Bodhi wasn't going to be making anymore, I didn't want to lose that strain. I mean, after seeing what it did in our garden, I knew there was something special about that, so... The very first time that I 
really had a, a breeding project, I made sure to use the ancient OG, made um, F2s. We did an open pollination with, I think, uh, three or four different males and three or four different females. And we threw a couple other females in there, a couple other crosses, but, you know, we just wanted to do an increase, make F2s and make sure that we preserved the genetics so that it didn't get lost. We didn't know if it would ever be available again. Good. Yeah, so important. Uh, yeah, because it, it, a lot of people are benefiting from the that continued ancient OG. I mean, it is to this day an amazing it's special that Iranian. Can you speak to that? Your your thoughts on that? The mom, right? It's the is that Iranian land race that's kind of nobody really knows except for maybe Bodhi. Right. I mean, Bodhi's description of it um, is he said it was very similar to an OG. It could have been an OG or the mother of OGs. And we have seen a lot of OG expressions in the ancient OG that he made with it. Um, there's a lot of a lot of different stuff in there. We've grown, um, I would say, maybe 20 or 30 different crosses that he's made with that snow lotus male. And we've seen, I mean, I would say we've seen most of its expressions. And that ancient OG seems to have some that are just not in anything else of... Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's there's some very, like, lemon candy, like, loud citrus. There's some that are, like, a sour apple, kind of gassy, like, sour. There's some that are really, like, OG Kush, earthy gas. You know, there's some that are more, like, sour blueberry. There's some that are more leaning towards the Afghani, the Afgui. There's some that are... You know, just somewhere in the middle, like a weird, creamy, baby powder kind of earthy, cushy thing. Uh, we've seen like maybe 10 different expressions from that one strain. So something tells me that there's a lot going on with that Iranian. I mean, I wish I wish somebody had it so we could know more about it. But seeing all the things that come through in the ancient OG that obviously are not from the father... It really makes me think there was something special about that that Iranian. Yeah, it makes me think maybe looking into more crosses of of, of maybe some of those building block Middle Eastern hash lore land races and bringing those into maybe new F ones and to explore because that ancient OG is just one possibility that has all of this genetic diversity and so much to offer. Like what you've just described is pretty. Pretty amazing, pretty cool. It's pretty neat to see this uh, the o ancient OG project. You, you labeled that uh, last year, and I'm looking at some really great photography. And uh, what were your thoughts on? Are you going to continue to work that, or you have some other lines? I'd love to hear all about your genetics. Uh, the ancient OG is kind of our our flagship. That's our MVP. We're always going to grow that. I think um, the ancient OG project is a it's a special cross. We used a F2 and an F4 from uh, different lines that descended from different uh, females from our original F2 stock. So there was um, there was an F2 that was a little bit um, sorry, sorry. There was when we made the F2s, the original F1 stock. There was one female that was really tall, really stretchy, really vigorous, and there was one that was shorter, much frostier, very cushy. So we worked with the taller, more vigorous female and worked that to F4, and then we crossed that back with an F2 from the uh, from the shorter, more cushy side, and that's how we made the Ancient OG Project. It's kind of a, it's a combination of, like, two of our favorite expressions of the Ancient OG. Yeah, well, and the quality, and can you speak to the quality of the flower, too? Because that's what, I'm here with our, our friend Nick at night, and we're looking at some of this, and, uh, I mean, yeah, the actual, the, the, the that snow lotus papa, it does well for the, the resin production, and can you speak to some of the, the attributes of the actual bud, and maybe bag appeal and all that, and nose? 
Yeah. Um, the way that we've worked the line, it's it's got a lot of color. You know, they all have a lot of color. Wow. So you've been selecting us. for color. That's awesome. Yeah, we've worked it up to um to a point where. I would say 90% of the population has purple stems, like bright purple stems from germination. And I would say at least half of them have purple coloration on the flowers. Do you think Um, that's from snow lotus? Yeah, I think that is probably from the blueberry that is in the snow lotus. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, because even the... Yeah, on the leaves, you have some color coming off of uh, the stalk, right? So the leaves have this, like, so you'll have purpose, purple stalks at germination as the plant grows, but even as the bud develops, we're talking about way later in the cycle, you have these really impressive, deep, verdant, you know, you have, you've got greens, you got limes, and then you have these, like, verdant berry um, stalks at the base of the leaves coming off the cola. It's pretty cool. I think that is some of that snow lotus expression coming through. Yeah, it's it's a really beautiful cultivar. It's really distinct in any garden. Uh, those purple stems really stand out. And when when it starts to flower, those flowers get big. They get really big, tons of resin, really loud smell, and they and they keep the kind of a skinnier, kind of narrow, slender stems. So. There's not a lot of lumber there. It's really, it's a nice flower, a lot of bag appeal, really kind of that delicate OG Kush kind of look, and tons of resin. I mean, they wash gray. We've had, you know, friends wash them and say they had great returns with them, tons of flavor. It's, I mean, it's good for concentrate. The flowers are great. It's really an all-around great strain. The high itself is great. It doesn't really have much of a ceiling. It's kind of an OG-type high, so it's nice to smoke on any time of day, really. Amen. Yeah, how cool. I love that it's your flagship, and uh, it, it, it's it's a, it's just a it's a glorious thing to see the Bodhi genetics just done so well loved up so well and you guys were keeping that keeping that alive that is like a moment in time but but it continues to evolve every every season you guys are putting work in it's it, it looks amazing these these projects yeah, are we're, cool we're really i was i was definitely inspired by bodhi bodhi's a big inspiration for us and you know i really like his approach to breeding especially with bodhi seeds where you know he'll kind of just choose a couple males that he knows he can rely on that no one else has, you know, something unique, something consistent, something stable, and just start crossing those with everything and and see what comes out. You know, it's all about having those really nice males that no one else has. And I think we've been doing that with the ancient OG, and most recently we – uh, we've been working with our Yosemite glue, which is a uh, ancient OG crossed with Gorilla Glue 4. So um, our last seed release was um, crosses that we made with the Yosemite glue males, and those are those are doing very well. I mean, that is some really vigorous, really resinous, really loud, just some great stuff, and and it's unique, you know? I mean, a lot of people are working with the same kind of stuff these days, and it's a lot of cookies, there's a lot of OGs, there's a lot of chems, you know, and, and I like having a male that doesn't have a lot of those things in it because you know you're going to be crossing it with those things, and you don't, you know, you don't want to overdo it. It's nice to have stuff coming from different lines so we like to we like to have our own stuff that's kind of its own thing and cross it with the flavor of the day or whatever we think is going to do well i love it i I think it is nice to have something nuanced and i think the market is we're getting ready to go beyond cookie crosses i know it's it's we we have to think about paying the rent and all that but i I really do appreciate the ancient og project because you do see these really special uh just interesting combinations that yosemite glue is an interesting i imagine so there's like does the glue kind of complement some of that old world 
Iranian flavor. Uh, can you speak to the nose on some of that gas? I imagine it's super gassy cultivar. Uh, and when Gorilla Glue came first on the scene, it was impressive, loud, just notable. Like what we were talking about Blue Dream when you walked into a room and someone was smoking, a, you know, a fat doobie of 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 that early glue right when it was released it was it was loud really loud gas yeah yeah and i just want to say shout out and rest in peace josie wales um amen i was i was on the ic mag forums when he released the gorilla glue clone to the community and i mean that i remember that being the hottest thing around in 2012 that was the one the it first was. time i got it I was blown away. I mean, the batch that I got was tremendous, just purple and silver with that chocolatey, gassy, sour taste. And, yeah, it's a, it's a really special one. Josie Wales blessed the community with that, and we need more people doing things like that. Um, when, we, when we crossed with the Ancient OG, it really brought out the best of both strains, in my opinion. I mean, the Yosemite glue... It just dumps resin. It's it's ridiculous. The hash yields, just the look of the flower is, you know, it's just, it's fuzzy, glandular, ball-bearing, like, chromatic resin all over it. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, it, it's a great one. And it brings out the, the kind of creamy, sour apple, baby powder earthiness of the ancient OG and combines that with the, the more you know, darker, chocolatey gassiness of the Gorilla Glue. Um, we've seen, you know, a few different expressions of it at this point, and they're all phenomenal. The best one, in my opinion, is kind of like it's similar to Gorilla Glue, but with a little bit of that sour appleness in there and just covered with crystals. So, yeah, it's it's a good one. You know, sometimes you find those crosses that just seem to work. Yeah, yeah, it's it's and that's the beauty of of working lines, right? You find these you find these unicorns, the sour apple. Yeah. That sounds that sounds very enticing. I I'm, I'm excited about more apple terps. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's great. I love that sour apple OG kind of flavor and you don't really see that much, but yeah, I think people are going to get wise to that soon. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, I think in general there's going to be some some new some new demand for some more diverse profiles. And, and do you have any other, uh, I mean, you, you do some really amazing work and you've got some great selections. But is there, I, I mean, I know you have other breeders featured in your gardens and any other breeders you maybe want to shout out a bit or just any thoughts on, like, some interesting things that, that maybe the, the community can get hip to in 22? Yeah, well, we've done work, um, I would say, the one that comes to mind is the Black Lime Reserve from uh, from Mean Gene. Oh, yeah, Jackson's Black Lime. That's a classic. I mean, that was 2014 when it first hit the scene. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it came out 24. I think it won the Emerald Cup at one point. It um, did. I think 2015 it hit, it hit the, it won, it swept. And he was winning every year in that era. <laughs> his yeah, his work is amazing. Yeah, people, were, <laughs> people were saying, oh, it's all rigged. Why Why does he keep winning? He must be paying off the judges. But, you know. Haters going to hate. Sometimes. He has some great work. Black Lime, I did some crosses with that, with some Big Sir Holy and some that Chiquita Banana that was here in Santa Cruz, and we brought the Black Lime in. And it's a great cultivar, great breeding stock. Yeah, it really is great breeding stock. It, it has its own characteristics that really seem to work well with the ancient OG. Um, when we crossed those, um, we made our strain, the Sprite, which was, um, I would say that was our first really popular cross. So with, that, uh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of Sprite. So that was, you guys did that. That's awesome. Yeah, well, there was another Sprite. There's two Sprites. Um, Got it. I think we might have come out with one later. The original Sprite, I think, was uh, the Skittles guys. With It was a Sprite with a Z, right? Ah, uh, got it. Okay. Anyway. Yeah, got you. You might have heard of that. You might have heard of ours. Um, it gets confusing with the names. and with, yeah, you know. it does. <laughs> and it makes sense with the lime and the kind of OG. That, that sounds like a Sprite turt profile. 
Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's that's exactly what it is. You got that loud lemon lime. It tastes like a Sprite. Um, Effervescent Kush with lemon lime. That sounds pretty good, actually. Yeah, it's got that lime. It's really nice, that lime OG taste. And, I mean, we were getting massive plants off of those. We never released the Sprite, but we made the purple Sprite, which is Sprite backcross to ancient OG. And we released that, and that is actually one of our most popular strains. It seems pretty much everyone that's grown it has had great feedback. We've gotten pictures of, you know, 15, 16-foot-tall plants of the Purple Sprite. It's, yeah, it's just a really great cross of the ancient OG and the black lime. Cool. I love that. Yeah, you guys, it's so cool. Um so any other key things for uh you guys got a bunch of beans a bunch of varietals i mean some of our listeners are probably thinking about gardens anything you could recommend or something for for the people to explore we're, we're big advocates of growing from seed and and introducing the new varietals to gardens everyone should grow a garden you know even if it's just a small humble thing if you're going to grow a garden it's nice to grow from from seed yeah, I think, you know, with the new recreational laws that are spreading, a lot more people are starting to grow at home and they're looking for good genetics that are going to perform and they're good, that are going to yield well. You know, you want a good yield of something that you want to smoke. Um, our gear checks all those boxes. You know, if you're a home grower, you can do a few plants in your backyard Get a pack of Ancient OG. Get a pack of Purple Sprite. You know, you can't go wrong. You really can't. You're going to get some big, beautiful plants. You're going to get some big, beautiful flowers, and you're going to be going back to those jars every day. Um, I mean, we're on Instagram, Motherload Gardens and Motherload Seeds. We have our menus up there. I think pretty much everything we have will do great in most climates i mean we're really in the proving ground up here and if something can thrive up here i think it's good to go i would recommend for anyone to check out our gear and try to grow their own yeah amen and in any words of advice to yourself when you were in coralitas of all the gear you have now what gear would you run in your coralitas garden if you had your current quiver now, like what would be good for Coralitas of your of your lineups? Um, we have uh, Base Jumper is a one of our strains. It's a the cross of that, yeah. Yeah, the Base Jumper is a Royal Kush crossed banana Kush crossed with Yosemite glue that is very royal kush dominant and will probably finish before most strains which is something you're going to be looking for in that kind of coastal environment Um, when i was out there we were growing the royal kush the original one and you know it would finish before everything else i i really think that it's important to get the right genetics for that kind of climate and you want something that's going to be done in the first week or two of october at the at the latest um so, yeah, that base jumper is a good one. We actually have one that's not on our menu, but um, it's available as a freebie when you buy a pack is a Jaeger schnitzel crossed with ancient OG. Um, the Jaeger schnitzel is based on the Jaeger uh, clone from Oregon, which yeah. is known. That, that one's known for finishing early and being very uh, mold resistant as well. So, oh, that's good to know. On our menu, but. It is. We do offer it. If you order packs from us, we throw in freebies, and you might get lucky with one of those. And other than that, I would say that base jumper that has that royal cushion, that's going to be a winner for somebody with a foggy coastal climate for sure. Righteous. Do you think straight uh, ancient, too, would do well? Yeah. Yeah, the ancient, well, the ancient itself is very mold resistant. It's probably going to take a little bit longer to finish. Gotcha. the structure of the flowers is conducive to drying out, right? It's not going to be trapping moisture in there. So it'll probably be fine unless you're really in the fog, which, I mean, 
depending on the season, sometimes you get a dry October, sometimes you get a wet October. You know, it's it's kind of unpredictable. But if it's wet and you have something out there October 15th, October 20th, it can be risky, um, no matter what strain it is, even a Blue Dream or something, you know, sativa that's known for doing well in those climates is going to get some botrytis if you leave it out there too long. Um, the ancient OG is mold resistant all the way, all the way. I would definitely recommend that. And that's why we based our work on it. Pretty much everything that we do has that in it and is going to have those characteristics of standing up to moisture and mold and cold and bad weather, all that. So, you know, it's really important to find those ones that are going to do well, even if the weather gets bad for a week or two. Yeah. Well, and last year it got, you know, you never know. It's that's the kind of the magic of growing with the elements, right? And, and, and just genetics is a key piece. And that's what's so fun. And I really enjoyed going deep. And thanks for sharing with our, with our listeners. And this is a, an ongoing project. You know, it's a, it's poetry in motion growing every year and, and learning, learning all about, uh, a, a lot of about your gear, the the purple sprite, the sprite Yosemite glue, the ancient OG project. Um, you mentioned IC Mag too. That's that's nice to know that you had some roots there because that was a big part of the community before we got to the moment we're in now. Oh yeah, yeah. IC Mag is where I learned to grow. I mean, I touched base with all those, you know, all those old school NorCal guys back when they were still trying to grow big plants and yeah. they figured it out, man. They figured out, I mean, they figured out how to really maximize each plant. And I learned that from them. I credit IC mag with a lot of that. I mean, the cannabis community is everything to me and the internet facilitates it in a way that, you know, that's really helpful for people that aren't around other growers necessarily. So, you know, IC mag, I suggest people definitely get on forums, get on Instagram, connect and, Get into it. Thanks. Give thanks. I really appreciate you coming on the show, and we're at, we're at the last minute. Uh, that hour flew by. It was a lot of fun, and uh, you got to hit me up when you come back through Santa Cruz, and we'll we'll swap some beans and smoke some joints, man. I really appreciate you coming on the show, and and big ups, Motherload Gardens. I want to give you the last word. We got about fifty seconds left. Awesome. I just want to say, everybody grow your own and if you're not growing your own get it from someone who is growing organic growing with purpose with intention with a conscience and just try to remember we're all part of this cannabis community and if we all have each other's backs we can do great things amen give thanks for that and stay up santa cruz you have a beautiful weekend be most excellent to each other and, and get those seeds germinating the time to start growing is now and give thanks have a beautiful weekend you've been listening to the cannabis connection i'm christopher carr we'll see you next week